Hi everyone, I'm Les. And I'm Ashley. And you're listening to Anthropotamus, where we explore some of your favorite anthropology topics. Hi everyone, welcome to our latest episode of Anthropotamus. Today we're here with Dr. Kristen Syme from Leiden University. Uh, we'll be discussing her article, Bargaining in Interdependence, Common Parent Offspring Conflict Resolution Strategies Among Chomchuk and Their Implications for Suicidal Behavior. That was a mouthful. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. We tried to get the title down. It was just like so much information we had to fit in there. I feel like that's just the way it goes in academics. (laughs) Uh, All right. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. But before we get started into this article, let us know about yourself, your background, how'd you get into anthropology, and more specifically, what led you into uh, studying suicidal behavior? Uh, Well, I'm an American. I'm now uh, in the Netherlands, um, where I've been working the past two years. Um, I have wanted to be an anthropologist since I was like 15. I was like, I don't know, I was like learning about cultures. I grew up in the church, um, um, hearing like missionary stories. Um, And I've just always been fascinated by culture and wanting to experience other cultures. And uh, I'm also drawn to like human drama. So I wanted, I actually chose to be an anthropologist at a point in my life when I was 15 and I realized it might be unrealistic to, you know, aim to be like an actress. I should probably pick something more realistic. Um, And so that's when I decided to, I wanted to be an anthropologist and I just like was obsessed with it. Um, And, and I just, I just stuck with it. Like I told everyone I'm going to go to college and that's what I'm going to study. I got interested in suicidal behavior and mental health more broadly, um, in part because of my own experiences. I've had uh, depression at different times in my life, and I've experienced suicidal ideation intermittently. Um, But I've never, you know, I've just never, the medical model has never resonated with me. Um, And it didn't resonate in explaining, even witnessing uh, depression in other people. Um, It always was so clearly, especially loved ones, it was always so clearly uh, about social problems and environmental problems and, you know, uh, loss of social resources and conflict with other people um, that the the medical, the clinical model just felt untrue, quite honestly. And those times when I did uh, pursue, uh, you know, diagnosis, pursuing the medical, uh, the uh, clinical model, uh, it, it felt like a compromise. It felt like I was actually doing something that wasn't true to myself because that was really the only option. Um, yeah, I just spent my life sort of being fascinated by the, you know, what what it is we're really talking about here. How do we how do we get at this? So I've been really interested from it from a biocultural standpoint, both how we construct models of, of mental health, of depression, of suicidal ideation, of distress. Um, and how that articulates with the, the biological realities. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a mouthful, but that's, <laughs> that's where I'm coming from. So, uh, so when I read this article, I had never, because another area of study that I'm not familiar with, I had never heard of the, the Chonchuk. So can you tell our listeners, what, who are they? Where, where are they from? Um, what, are, what is their culture known for? Yeah, so they are, uh, Chonchuk are from the Federated States of Micronesia, where um, there are about, um, there are many islands in the Federated States of Micronesia, and many islands in Chuk State. Um, 
The Chuuk inhabit about 40 of those islands. It's a population of a little over 50,000. Um, since 1986 and the signing of the Compact of Free Association, uh, Chonchuk and other Micronesians, um, there are open borders with the US, so they come and live and work and study in the United States and they have taken those opportunities. Um, I actually worked with the, um, with the Chonchuk community in Portland, Oregon. Um, and that was my main contact point with the community. And I'm actually going to Chuuk for the first time in a couple weeks and I'm super excited about it. Um, so I'm going to see uh, the islands for the first time. Um, but this population, so, you know, it's not like they come to the US and then, you know, they stay. In fact, uh, in fact, there's no pathway to citizenship even unless they're born in the US. Um, and so they come to the US to, to live, to work, to study. They send remittances back home. They move around as, uh, as needed uh, based on interdependence and their kin networks in particular. So going where they're needed to support family, sick family, to make money. And so they are constantly uh, transversing uh, those borders. Um, so you just, um, you bring up the term Anumanu? Oh, I said that wrong, huh? Amunamun. Amunamun. There we go. <laughs> uh, can you explain what that is and how we can connect that back to um, family expectations of adolescents? Sure. So Amunamun is, uh, it's actually a term uh deeply associated with uh, suicidal behavior in this population. Unfortunately, um, you mentioned what they're known for. Unfortunately, they're known for having one of the highest suicide rates in the world, um, specifically one of the highest um, male young men suicide rates. Um, and an amudamun is a spectrum of behaviors associated with social withdrawal. And so at the one end, you can have just like avoidance, up to refusing to eat and speak, um, refusing to be around certain people, uh, all the way up to suicidal behavior, suicide threats, attempts, and even in the most extreme, suicide deaths. And in fact, because um, suicide is so pervasive, the term itself is, is deeply uh, associated with suicidal behavior. So you mentioned that the rate is higher in men I, I know in the U.S. the rate is higher in men because the the way in which they try to commit suicide is more successful rather than women. They fail at um, at their suicide attempts because, I, I don't, if I remember correctly, women tend to go for, you know, overdosing, whereas men just have more violent means. Is that the case for them or is it just um, they just have a tendency to in for suicidal behavior um in fact that does not seem to be the case um i mean i i haven't really looked closely at um so the method that's widely used is hanging or suffocation mm, wow um and that is available to both men and women it's not like you know one sex is more likely to have access to those means um there might be something going on with um like risk taking differences in risk taking in men and women um but ultimately, I don't I don't really know um, the one thing I should mention is the 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 gender ratio is even more extreme in Chuuk. It's even more skewed towards men. Um, I think in the US, it's like three to two, like males to females there in Chuuk, it's 11. 
suicide male deaths to one female death. So it's really, it's a striking skew um, towards male bias deaths. Um, and, and unfortunately we don't have um, any data or very little data on suicide attempts. Um, although one uh, ethnographer report, reported that according to a priest who'd been working there, um, as many as like 30 to 50% of the population have threatened or attempted suicide. Um, and that's sort of a, a black box. It's very difficult to assess, to, to ask people about suicide attempts. I mean, suicide deaths, you know, somebody is gone. Somebody is not there. You can't hide that. Um, and in these small scale communities, people often know why. Um, suicide attempts, um, you know, not everyone necessarily is aware of it. So it's a lot harder to, to interrogate that. So it, it's hard to answer all those questions because um, we don't really know if the means are different um, in women. So during the section on Amudamun, there's a, I believe, a specific paragraph that says frequently suicide is used as kind of a, a bargaining tool. Uh, can yeah. you tell me a little more about that? Yeah, so uh, the bargaining model of suicidal behavior is a model that I've been working on. It's an evolutionary model of suicidal behavior um, that was informed by um, the ethnography on Chuk, also just the ethnography on suicide um, in, in, most, in many societies, uh, geographically distant societies. Suicidal behavior is a last resort of the socially powerless facing severe, severe conflict. I'm talking like forced marriages, um, threats of ostracism, like really serious stuff and really like extreme powerlessness. One example, and this is an example from Papua New Guinea of, um, it was a forced wife exchange. Um, so the brother was beating his sister as his sister is attempting suicide. I mean, it sounds nuts, right? But in bargaining models, we would call that a game of chicken where both parties are sort of at the brink and they're gonna take it, see how far they can take it to get their way. Um, in Chuk, um, it is seen as a form of communication, suicidal behavior um, in response to social conflict. And the leading, um, proximate cause of suicide of, of suicide in this population, which we know from the work of Fran Hazel, who has collected um, over several decades, has collected um, most as many suicide cases as he could. The leading cause is in Chuk specifically is conflict with parents or conflict with uh, other authority figures in the family, like aunts and uncles. And, and yeah, it's understood as being um, a, a form of communication of having been um, harmed by others, hurt by others? Um, I think you've already answered actually my last question. <laughs> Unless Sorry. brought up the bargaining. No, no, she answered it before you asked that question. Oh, but, okay. Um, and then you already asked about the bargaining. Um, oh, there was one thing I didn't, I, I think I didn't answer in full. Okay. Um, was what, what, oh, how a moon is associated with um, uh, adolescence. So, in Chuk, they have norms of respect uh, between younger and older people, particularly in the family. And so you do not talk back to your elders. Um, you do not yell back, although they do from time to time. <laughs> that is not the norm. Like they, that is, in fact, the, the Chuk uh, in the US who I interviewed, one of their main concerns was 
they're so afraid that their children are learning to be more disrespectful <laughs> in the United States. Um, now that didn't come out in my data, maybe it's true, but um, yeah, they don't talk back to their parents and the way you resolve conflict, particularly on these small islands where you can't really go anywhere is you just avoid it and you just walk away. And that's sort of the most appropriate way to deal with conflict is avoidance. I can see how that might be the case on an area where you have nowhere to go. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. you know. Um, I was going to ask if uh, these children growing up in the U.S., the cultural change had an impact, but you kind of just answered that. <laughs> um, I, I think it still remains to be seen. Um, so... Most of the young people that I interviewed, I interviewed younger and older people um, about conflicts, you know, some of them going back several decades and conflicts that had happened more recently. Um, and, you know, the parents and children are really concerned about these cultural differences. It, it wasn't associated, like these cultural differences, arguments over, um, you know, those types of norms, like dress or the, the clothes they're wearing or the, that type of thing it didn't really come up so much in terms of being like a major source of conflict. Um, the major sources of conflict uh, were really about, you know, witnessing abuse at home or neglect or, you know, those types of things and not so much um, um, cultural differences, although there, there, that was a component too. You mentioned that a lot of their society revolves around going where they're needed. Or how, how can they, how do they use Amudamun in the conflict resolution strategies? Like when they're moving around, if they go to a new place is, you know, and it's not quite how they want, what would you typically see? Yeah, so there are different um, strategies for that. There's different ways I can answer that. Um, so in one case, the, the, first, the first case that came to my mind was a young man who had to, um, he was, you know, early 20s at the time of the conflict. Um, he wanted to go to college, to a specific college. His father wanted him to stick around um, and, and help out uh, a, a family member who was passing away. And so he had to do um, this elder care, which he really didn't want to do. He had to go to uh, a college he didn't really want to go to. He had a public fight, and this is unusual for Chonchok, he had a public fight with his father in the administration office. Um, and the only thing he could really do was, you know, he withdrew in the short term, he, he socially withdrew. Um, but in the long term, he didn't really have any choice, he felt. And he said, you know, I was, I was depressed. I was severely depre depressed and wanting to cry out. Um, so that's one example. Um, in his case, he eventually was able to pursue the things he wanted to pursue, but it, it took him a little bit longer. In another case, um, uh, and there's a couple of these, um, so young people, young, the examples I'm thinking of young women were in conflict with either their parents or their caregivers. Um, so family members they're staying with, but who aren't their biological parents. Um, conflicts could include, you know, having a boyfriend Conflicts could include labor exploitation. Uh, that's really specific to to women because um, women do most uh, are expected to do domestic domestic tasks. Um, and some young women felt that they were exploited 
by their parents or their caregivers um, doing more than others in the family. And they ran away. They, they ran away. They stayed with friends for a period of time uh, or they stayed with other family. One case, um, she even stayed with a, like a strange man that she just was sort of just an acquaintance. Um, um, Sounds and safe. If ne if, yeah, exactly. Um, and in, in some cases, they had to run away multiple times to be heard. Um, now, in, in many of those cases, women, those young women um, were able to see changes that were what they wanted. In some cases, their parents didn't budge. They didn't change. Um, nothing got better. And they, what they had to do was find another family member to ulti ultimately um, to live with, to find a better situation with. And so they're able to, the, their kin networks can be a source of constraint and it can also be a source of leverage and mobility. Okay, yeah. So, did you have something you wanted to no, say? Go, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking, this sounds a lot like some things I've read about parentification, and maybe that's not entirely accurate here, but um, it sounds like um, a lot of these young women are being put in situations where they're taking on a lot of more adult responsibilities before they're, before they're able to handle that. That's an interesting angle. I haven't, I hadn't thought of it that way because <clears throat> uh, in Micronesia and in Chuk, um, young, young women uh, from a, young girls and more girls than boys um, participate in domestic tasks, participate in economic tasks that benefit the family. Um, they're caring for siblings. They're, you know, doing chores. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think from maybe a Western perspective, it looks like, you know, are they, they're not getting enough playtime or they're not, they don't have enough freedom. Um, but I, I don't think they see that they would see it that way from the inside. I think, um, and usually the, I mean, really the issue with the women I interviewed, it was that they're doing it more relative to others that they really felt like that was dumped on them and that they were being exploited. So it's more of an uh, inequality issue than anything else. Yeah, that's that's what it sounded like to me, because it was always like, why do I have to do all the work and my siblings or my cousins who I'm staying with don't? Yeah, uh, I, I know what some family members of mine would say, probably something to the effect of because you let them tell you to do so. How do you mean? Well, in, you know, in a lot of ways, your workload, um, when it comes to things around the house, around the family, or at least when I was growing up, it was determined by whether or not you actually did things. Now, I don't mean like outside of the family. I mean, somebody tells you to do something, you either do it or you don't. Uh, and the people who put up the least resistance tend to actually do the most because they're just asked to do more because you know it's going to get done. Yeah. So it's about, I guess it would be, um, to put it simply, about setting boundaries, about how much you're willing to put up with. And I think this, this sounds like a way of, a way of setting boundaries 
Yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, you know, saying, uh, I've had enough. <laughs> You're uh -huh. making me do uh, this much, and it needed to be a little bit less. Um, and, and, I, and I don't really know why it is, uh, like, yeah, I don't know if it's like personality, or I think it's just obedience. Like, I think, from a young age, they're just taught to be obedient, um, and parents and chuk do use corporal punishment. Um, and I want to be clear, there's a big difference for even from the chuk perspective between corporal punishment and abuse. Um, so I, that's not abuse from their perspective, but they do, they, there is like a stark uh, authority structure. And, and yeah, the running away, these, these strategies are a way of pushing back of saying, uh, I need I need some concessions here. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like maybe maybe they're not physically capable of pushing back physically. Maybe it's just not proper, and that's just you know antithetical. But either way, you have to have some method of resistance. Yeah, and, and you know, it, running, running away wasn't the first option, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> it I happened. Mean, yeah. yeah, it happened after negotiations failed, after yeah. other things failed that that's actually kind of interesting uh we read a book recently that was uh well my, i guess i have another question is running away more common with um young men or young women um it's a good question they both i think young women but i don't i'm not 100 percent sure about that um See, it's ahead. not something that you've specifically collected anything on um, well, I'd have to go back and look at the data. If in my mind, the, there were more women sort of running off into the dark, like running off yeah. into the night and like, you know, scaring their family members. Yeah. Um, young men are more likely to engage in um, like drunken, um, to use alcohol. Okay, I see that. Yeah. To to vent. Yeah, to vent actually to give them the bravery to, and in fact, when young men are intoxicated, they are considered not in the right mind that in fact they can kind of say things that they wouldn't otherwise be allowed to say in that authority structure. Hmm. Interesting. See, it, the main reason I bring it up is because uh, we read a book uh, called The Female Mind that uh, it's, the author spoke a lot about how women tend to much more highly value their social relationships and that seems to be you know seems to show some conflict here if you're more willing to and obviously it's not a you know a first resort or anything but if you're more if you tend to see more women running away and abandoning the, abandoning their social relationships due to these um, these issues it makes me wonder either do they take the issue more seriously or is this just uh, a more acceptable way of dealing with that? Like, does it not damage relationships when they run off, that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, yeah, they, it doesn't damage relationships when they run off. In fact, many, I mean, it kind of depends, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Many times they had outcomes in their favor. Um, so having being expected to perform less of the chores being allowed to have a boyfriend being allowed to hang out with your friends and spend less time at home um 
many of those times the parents were just like, oh my gosh, I don't want my kid to do this again. This escalated too far. So I'm gonna, you know, give them, you know, I'm, I'm gonna sure. let up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't, but you know what, now that you mentioned, like in my data, men don't typically run off that way. They, they do, however, and both men and women do this, they do leverage uh, in evolutionary biology, we call it like partner choice mechanisms. So they will, um, so there's the running away, which is sort of like a temporary um, dramatic flight of an experience. <laughs> like she's gone for a couple of days. They don't know where she is. They're going to call the police. They're going to call the, their, all their family members over. Um, but then there are these more um, just saying, okay, well, I'm going to go live with my boyfriend or girlfriend, or I'm going to go live with my uncle. And I'm just going to basically replace um, the parental relationship, this living situation with another person. Um, and both of both men and women seem to do that effectively. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, I, I'm going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but this is a pretty interesting subject. It makes me wonder uh, if running away is fairly. Would you say it's fairly common, or is that something that's still not? You know, it, it's it's more of an extreme measure. It is an extreme, but it's it's also common, right? It's it's like I don't know how often in the US too actually in fact as I've been presenting this work um, like I don't have numbers exact numbers on like what the rates of like running away you know in Juke or even in the US maybe there are uh, numbers out there but I as I talk to even Americans about this they're like oh I ran away like I did that as a teenager and we don't really like have this sort of model of it the same way they do in Chuk. But as you talk to people, it's like, oh, we do this too. And it's not really yeah. uh, been explored all that much. Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've definitely seen that happen with, um, with people I've known. I mean, even when I finally left my own, you know, my own childhood home, it was in response to a, um, a conflict, kind of replaced my living situation at the time. And you know, yeah. went to live somewhere else, and it, it was. Well, the, the reason I brought this question up, though, is because I'm wondering how, the police tend to treat that um, that type of response. If it's, you know, the, these islands are, are very, relatively small, and obviously they're they're spread out. The a lot of people likely know each other. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and and the islands are of different sizes too, and different population density. Um, so yeah, depending on the island, there may not really be anywhere to run to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just, on other islands, yes, wouldn't... you can. There are places you could run to. Okay, so there so there are some some islands that are large enough that you that this is more of a viable option. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm definitely. just wondering how the police tend to treat the the, the runaways if this is kind of a. Um, maybe not maybe extreme but normal response to some situations yeah there isn't um maybe i don't know what the police presence is like on wooda which is the main island mm-hmm. um i know one woman i interviewed who ran away on the main island wooda um uh, this was several decades ago though um the only people who were alerted were um her immediate kin who were looking for her um on other islands i don't think there's much police presence at all so the people you alert are your kin and yeah. And people go, there's like a search, their search parties are formed. Um, in the U S 
yes yeah, so, and then in the u.s they do call the police like in hawaii or you know outside of portland oregon um and i i don't really know how uh um the police handle that there i don't know i i would be curious i don't really know how they handle like regular runaways either so like, i mean like you know uh, i'm sorry i'm sure it must come up a lot uh yeah i don't know i like it the only the, the times that I've seen people run away, it was generally more of a family affair. And I don't think that I've ever had anybody who I knew in the, that ran away. I don't think I've had anybody ever actually call the cops to try and find them. It was more of a they, you know, had a big fight. They left and were gone for a week before they came back type deal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually yeah, it's actually isn't that crazy? It's it's the same in shoot. <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. We, People are the same everywhere, aren't they? Well, yeah, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. In many ways, they're, um, yeah, people resolve things in the same way. You have a fight with someone, you get away from them. Yeah, I mean, it's better than the alternative sometimes. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about regarding your article or anything else? Um, and maybe I'll just uh, link it back uh, to suicide really quick. So. Uh, why why it has implications for suicidal behavior looking at say running away um, in Shuk, um running away is considered a, a threat of suicide so yes when someone runs away and they call the family part of the concern and it is quite salient is that the young person even if it's a woman and even though like women have lower suicide rates the concern is still there they're still very concerned about their 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 children. So, um, so that's the link to suicidal behavior. And, uh, and ultimately, the goal was to sort of say, like, yeah, the more severe the conflict, this is what we wanted to, to investigate, the more, is it that, you know, the more severe the conflict, the greater risk an individual is willing to take on to resolve that conflict. And, and that's what we found evidence for um, in this paper. I think you'll find evidence of, of that particular concept along many different fronts of uh, anthropology or, you know, just humans in general. Uh, the more risk you have regarding almost any situation, the more people are willing to put on the line for it. I mean, although if that weren't the case, we wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't have a lot of things. Exactly. Yes, I, I love, um, I, I found a quote in I Am Lewis's uh, Ecstatic Religion where he links, um, and I love this because I've been reading a lot about um, bargaining and game theory. Um, so the work of, uh, of Thomas Schelling, who, you know, he's looking at behavior and warfare and of, of political leaders. And, and Lewis is basically like, and they're hysterical. They're hysterical. And it's true. So what what are your next steps? What do you plan to research next? Um, so I've been looking at um, doing work on uh, a number of things. I've been doing um, a project on cooperation, a cross-cultural project across um, uh, 16 sites. Um, so that's what I'm going to Chuuk to, to look at. I'm also going to be looking at in Chuuk um, uh, interviewing um, young men about uh, why they engage in violent behavior. Because um, unfortunately, um, not only is suicide common, um, but homicide and violent behavior is also very common. So trying to understand that as well. Um, yeah, so continuing to investigate how people resolve conflict in different situations. 
Well, once again, we're talking to Dr. Kristen Syme about her work on suicidal behavior with the Chonchuk. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you so much, Les and Ashley. And for our listeners, don't forget to check us out on our Instagram and our Twitter at Anthropotamus, as well as our website, anthropotamus.com. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Distribution of Anthropotamus is in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Please continue to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Anthropotamus for our latest episodes, show notes, and book discussion schedule.